You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Ah, another Idaho, Arlington, Texas. Good morning, good morning. Happy New Year to you. Good morning by grace. All right, just in case you're new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon. Check them out if you get some time. If you've read any of my books, please go back to Amazon and leave me a review. I also have a podcast, the name of the podcast. Oh, we got Virginia, Germany, Seattle. Nice, nice. The name of the podcast, hey Christian, hey Holmes, is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. I'm recording the latest episode live on Instagram. This is where I record my podcast. So thank you so much for watching live. Um, if you're listening to the podcast in the future, please pause it. Leave me a quick review if you don't mind. I'm also on YouTube. Um, thank you if you're watching on YouTube. I appreciate that. Hit the subscribe button if you want to subscribe. Give me a thumbs up. And also hit that bell button if you want to be notified when I release a new Walk Talks episode. Let's see, what else? I'm not a pastor. (laughs) I'm a regular person just like you. This is no offense to those who have that position. But in the Bible, it's not a position. That position was actually created by one man by the name of Ignatius of Antioch in the first century. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And it has snowballed into what we see today by the 16th century. It became a full-fledged hierarchy with a person with the title of pastor at the top and then people under him. However, that's nowhere to be found in scripture. That is man-made tradition. And Jesus warned against tradition. Paul warned against tradition. Man-made tradition is why we see the position of a person named pastor, because that's not in the Bible. Is the word pastor in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible, but it's only mentioned once in the New Testament letters, and it is plural, and there's no list of qualifications, there's no list of authority, there's no list of duties, nothing. There's no deacon board, there's no elder board, there is no, there are no honorific titles in the body of Christ. Honorific titles began with Ignatius of Antioch, continued on with the rest of the early church fathers, and then by the time Martin Luther started the Reformation and John Calvin, it has just shot off like a rocket, and here we have it today, all right? So that's why I put that in my introduction, because I want you to know a little bit about myself, and I want you to be confident in who you are, and who Christ is, and who you are together. Now, um, if you want to contact me, Please do not message me on social media. Instead, go to my website, go over to the contact page. I'll be glad to interact with you there. All right. Also, while you're on my website, be sure to sign up for the free daily devotional. You'll get an email, um, a, a personally written devotional in your inbox early every morning. All you have to do is go over to the free newsletter tab. If you're listening on the podcast, you can actually pause the podcast. And I have a link in the show notes, and it'll take you straight to it. You can sign up for the free newsletter. All right. So let's get to today's Walk Talk. Can Christians do things our own way? Oh, you're just saying everybody can just do whatever they want and do things their own way. You know, I hear that almost every single day. When you talk about your freedom, it's very difficult for a lot of people to grasp because they think 
that when you talk about freedom, that you're talking about doing something that is opposed to the way of God. That's the problem. Because our modern church, and when I say modern church, I'm talking about the Christians who are alive today, is so focused on calling you something that you're not, and then telling you to not be yourself, but try hard to not be yourself. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what we want. We're like, what do I want? What do I want? You just, you don't know what you want. Because it's double talk. Double talk is this. You are a disgusting, nasty, rotten sinner. You are just a terrible person. You do not want what God wants, but you need to deny who you are every single day and you need to become more like the Lord. You need to become more sanctified. Now, everything I just said, you might be thinking, well, there's scripture to back all that up. <laughs> Unfortunately, the passages that you are thinking of are all being taught in error. It has created a civil war in the minds of Christians worldwide. It has put you under the thumb of somebody with a title who you think you cannot know anything about God unless you hear this person say some words once a week. You need to feel terrible about yourself. Get up, go have your Sunday buffet, and then get out and do a better job. Try harder. Do not do what you want. Do not do things your own way. Stop running from the Lord. Yeah, and some of you who are listening to this, you might be thinking, well, all these things are true. But they're not. These things, you think they are true because they have been taught in error through man-made tradition for a long time. Mom and dad sat under it. Grandma and grandpa sat under it. Great, great sat under it. Great, great, great sat under it. So it is tradition of men that you are believing. Now let's, let's back up before I get to going because you might be thinking, oh, Matt's teaching universalism and there's nothing wrong with anybody. I am not teaching universalism. And there is something wrong with everybody. <laughs> From the time you're born. You are born in Adam. We see this in Romans chapter 5. By no fault of your own, you are born a sinner. You know, a lot of people think, well, you become a sinner when you first sin. No. You are born a sinner. You have inherited the sin of Adam. Why is this? Because when Adam no longer believed God, a force entered this realm called sin. I am not talking about the verbs of sinning. The verbs of sinning have been blown out of proportion. And even hearing that, you're like, he's making light of sin. No, I'm not. I'm making a bigger deal of the reality that you have been taken out of the realm of sin, not the verbs of sinning. I'm talking about the Greek word hamartia. So originally, Adam and Eve wanted what God wanted. They were created in his image. You were not. So many people are like, I was created in the image of God. Now, physically, yes, you look like God. If God was to be a man, he would have a head, hands, feet. He would, he would speak. He would walk. He would breathe. He would poop, pee, everything. So, yes, physically, 
You were created in the image of our creator. He wanted himself to look like a human and he became a human in Jesus. And side note, my last walk talk, I talked all about this. Is Jesus really God? So be sure to listen to my last walk talk or watch my last walk talk because I go over all the passages where people want to attempt to use scripture to say Jesus is not God. Okay. But God became a man in Jesus. So physically, yes, you look like, you look like God. Supernaturally, no. Because Adam no longer believed God, he wanted the knowledge of good and evil. I want to repeat that. This is the first sin. So when people are like, his first sin was when he ate from the tree. Oh no. The reason why he, calm down, McMillan. <laughs> the reason why he ate from that tree is because he believed the lie of the enemy. Did God not say? Oh, if you eat from that tree, you will be like God. They already were like God. They were created in his image. But what was the temptation? The temptation was, you will know good from evil. You'll know right from wrong. And we see this today. That is the obsession with the ecclesia today. Gotta snuff out the sin of the world. Gotta be harder on sin. Gotta... And because it's taught so much, when you hear me say this, it's like, eh, eh, eh. Matt's telling people to sin. Eh, Matt's Nobody needs to be told to sin. Everybody sins every day just fine without being told or coerced into it. So we need to stop making a big deal of the actions and the attitudes and get here. The identity. You got to get the who before you can get the do but we don't do that in the ecclesia in our modern church we want to get the do to determine the who so many people will say jesus even said i have not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance that is true who is the sinner according to jesus just a sinner, you know, the people in the Hebrew roots movement still say a sinner is somebody who breaks the law. If you are under the law, you know, early on in the book of Romans, the law is for those who are under the law. You're not under the law unless you're Jewish. I'm not under the law. I'm a Gentile. So a transgression of the law being a sin. Yes, that is a sin. But the word sinner is used before the law was given. Here's what a sinner is. This is going to help you. Hmm. Calm down. A sinner is somebody who has never believed God. Adam and Eve were not sinners until they no longer believed God. Calm down. I don't know why I'm so triggered about this topic. I know why I'm triggered about this topic because I grew up under the trash and I went from foster home to foster home Different family to different family. I went to different church after that. And all I heard was you need to stop sinning and repent because you're a dirty sinner and you're on your way to hell. They never talked about identity. They never talked about the fact that Adam and Eve were created in God's image. We were created in the image of Adam and Eve. But by the same way, it was no fault of our own that we were created. We were born from Adam. We received the righteousness Christ. Romans chapter 5. 
Our identity is not talked about. The behavior is talked about. We think righteous actions determine righteous identity. And this is exactly why Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous. Who were the righteous? The righteous were the people who believed God. The righteous were the people who trusted God. Who was a sinner? Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Why was he a chief of sinner? Because he was the biggest person who disbelieved God about the Messiah. He was the king cobra of the snakes. He was the biggest, most beautiful whitewashed tomb. But yet we want to say, you're a dirty sinner. Repent. Because you're sinning. Sinning does not determine whether or not you're a sinner. Sinning in your actions does not determine whether or not you're a sinner. You are a sinner if you've never believed God. So what are we supposed to believe? You know, if, <laughs> if, if I'm getting on here and I'm saying, or I'm asking, can Christians do things our own way? Some people might want to go to, you know, a passage from Isaiah 55 and say, oh, right here, his ways are not our ways. I got you right there, McMillan. He did say that. Isaiah, the prophet who was speaking on God's behalf because Jesus had not come yet as a human. Isaiah 58, excuse me, Isaiah 55, verse 8. His ways are not our ways. That's true. His ways are not our ways. If you just pick that out of context and you just, oh, look at this, his ways are not our ways. You can't do what you want, McMillan. Hmm, okay. This is one of the worst cases of versitis in scripture. There's a lot of versitis. And versitis is when you take a passage and you build a theology on one verse. Did you know the Bible was not written in chapters and verses? These are full-on letters. Chapters and verses were added much later for easy referencing. That is why today's ecclesia struggles with verse Ida so much they want to go to one little verse or one little section of verses and build an entire theology without panning all the way back and saying, who is this written to and why? What is the context? Of Isaiah 55 verse 8. His ways are not our ways. You can't tell Christians. They're just going to go wild sinning. They're wild sinning anyway. They're wild, and they're going to sin more. Sin afforded through the commandments. Thou shalt. Romans chapter 7. Put somebody under commandments and watch what happens. Sinning of every kind. But yet we want to say... <laughs> And you hear the word commandments. I understand how you've been taught about commandments too. That is a another fallacy. You are not under the commandments. I'm going to get back to Isaiah, but you are not under the commandments of Moses. Oh, those are God's commandments, not Moses. True. Moses was the mediator with the angels. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses put into place 613 commandments. Jesus put into play too. And they cannot be mixed. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. You cannot sew a brand new piece, piece of clothing onto old clothing. We try to do that today with covenant mixture theology. You got to obey the commandments of God. Yes. And what are his commands? That you believe and love. The book of 1 John tells us that. So are you saying we could just commit adultery and lie and cheat and steal? Oh, keep going. You don't just get to pick those three. You got to list all 613. Because you would be saying 
I can just cherry pick that sin, that sin. Yep, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Oh, no. James chapter 2 says, if you break one commandment, you break them all. Galatians chapter 3 says, you are cursed if you do not continue to do everything in the book of the law. Everything. What's the book of the law? 613 commandments, not just 10. That's why he says in the very next chapter in Romans chapter 6, after talking about how you were born in Adam and how you can become reborn through Christ, through this free righteousness, he says, sin will no longer be your master. Why? Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. I'm going to repeat that. Sin will not be your master any longer because you're not under the law. You're under grace. Sin will not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin will not be your master because you're not under the 613 commandments. That is what the law is. We only pick 10 and say, you need to do these part of the law. I'm not under those. Oh, well, you just telling people, here we go. This cyclical deal. Go over to grace. Grace will teach you how to live an upright, holy, self-controlled life. Not the law. Grace will teach you what you want. And that's not my opinion. That's what Paul wrote to Titus. It is the grace of God, Titus, which will teach you how to live. Titus 2, 11 and 12. It is the grace of Titus. Uh, the grace of Titus. Yeah, I'm sure he gave grace too. It is the grace of God, which will teach you. It is the grace of God, which will teach you. It is the grace of God. It is the grace of God. It is the grace of God. Sure doesn't seem like that sounds like a license to sin to me. It seems like this is going to teach me how to live a self-controlled, self upright, holy life. Grace, not law. Law will cause you to sin more. Law will cause sin to be your master. So you got to realize grace is not going to lead me into licentiousness. Grace is not going to lead me into legalism. Grace is going to lead me into this lush green pasture of grace. And it will cause me to lay down and get to rest. It is the narrow gate. Oh, you're just telling people they can do the wide road of destruction. The wide road is the law. 613 commandments. Grace is narrow. Grace is so narrow, many miss it. Because, oh, that's too easy. That's a license to sin. Grace will cause you to do things your own way. Grace will cause you to think you're running from God. Grace will cause you to think you need to get God to come back by what you do and what you don't do. His ways are not our ways. We see that in Isaiah 55, verse 8, verse 8. But what's the previous passages say? If we read all of Isaiah 55, what, what is, what is the, the previous Isaiah 55, 6 and Isaiah 55, 7 say? These are people who needed to seek the Lord and were wicked. Is that you? Well, I'm sinning a lot. No, I'm not talking about what you do. Nope. I'm talking about who you are. Is that you? Oh, well, it says seek God. You've sought him. Are oh, you just saying I just need to just 
throw my hands up because I've already sought him and it's all done? Yep. 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 Oh, there you go with your sin talk. You're just... See it? You don't seek who you are one spirit with. Therefore, if you are making poor choices, if you are doing dumb things, it does not mean you need to seek who is in. It does not mean you need to confuse what you have done with who you are and with who is in. Every dumb thing you've done, he went with you. Why? Because you trusted his son once in your lifetime by grace. Oh, you're just saying... You're completely ignoring. They can't fathom this good news because every Sunday they are told how bad of a person they are. When you're not, you're a new creation. You are a brand new creation. All things are gone. Yeah, but I'm sinning a lot. Okay, so this is what's going to happen. When you sin... It's never going to set right with you. This is why you do it. And you're like, well, this is not that great. And then bad things happen. And you're like, oh, man, well, that's a wake of destruction behind me. Probably shouldn't have done that. Unbelievers don't think that way. They enjoy it. They continue to do it in an ongoing practice because they enjoy it. And they want to get better at it. And here you are. I cannot stand this. Why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? Because you're holy. Because you're righteous. Because you have the very nature of the creator of the universe inside of you, with you, combined with you. You are one spirit with him. Your old sinful self has been crucified on the cross, buried in the tomb, and then fully resurrected as a holy new creation and then joined with the Lord. You cannot undo this. The only thing that could undo this is if Christ dies again. And it will never happen. So you have to come to the realization that when you do these things, you could do them 24-7, 365. It's never going to undo what the cross has accomplished. And it's never going to set right with you. Even if you're in denial until you're 100 years old and then you pass away. It's not going to make sense to you. <laughs> you know, I still learned this. I'm still growing in this. You know, having my social media ministry, I post things like I'm saying now. Every day. I make videos every day. And... I understand that this is not the norm because of man-made tradition. So most of the times when I post something and somebody says something extremely aggressive, rude, or sarcastic, or insulting, I will either ignore it or delete it. I do not interact with that. But once or twice a year, I'll get the hankering to do that. And then I'll just, you know, it'll be a thumb ward. I'll just go crazy. And I'll answer every single comment. And I'll say how everybody's wrong. And th this is the context that's off. Oh, that's this, this, this. And I'll just go. And then it stirs up the algorithm. And it gets more attention. And. But then I get up and I walk away. And I'm like, well, that wasn't that great. And I've upset people. I've hurt people's feelings. I've insulted them. I did the very thing I don't really want to do, but I did it. And I'm like, well, this is not that great. And then as, as the day goes on, you know, God's like, you might just go back and delete those. Delete those comments. Or delete the post altogether. 
it's never going to set right with me. But yet every single time I post something that is clearly controversial because of our modern church era of tradition, I could easily go back and just have a thumb war all day long with everybody and have a full-time job of just doing that. But every time I get on there and I argue with somebody or I, especially the ones who are super pompous about it, because I'm pretty darn smart myself and I got some good ways to express words in writing, but I cannot use these gifts to do things that are not natural for me as a saint because I'm going to get done and I'm going to be like, well, that's, that's not for me. So I'm going to overlook it. If it's super rude, I'm going to delete it. If it continues, I will block them. I'm not going down that path. You know, this happened, I don't know, just maybe last week. And I upset somebody so bad, they continued back and forth, and I continued back and forth, and I normally don't do that. I will even delete the comments where I got people arguing with each other just because I don't want that on my feed. But I continued back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He wouldn't stop. But I got to get the last word. He wouldn't stop, but I got to get the last word. I finally got the last word. And then I blocked him. He sent me an email. <laughs> so here we got somebody just mad as a hornet now sending me emails. What good did it do? What, what good did it do? He is not interested in my opinion. He is not interested in seeing any new ideas. He is not interested in anything that has to do with the new covenant. He's set in his own ways of a pastor is in charge. You need to submit yourself to a pastor. You need to stop sinning. You need to repent. You need to be sure of your salvation. You need to make sure you don't lose it. You make sure you don't forfeit it. You need to do all these things and stop telling people that they're sinless because they're not. He ain't interested in, in any of my rebuttals to that. So here's what I should have done, because this would have been best. But I'm going through my comments and reading them. Just keep going. That would have been best. Because I was not doing things my way. And I was not doing things God's way. Because they're the same way in here. I want what he wants. Therefore, I am not going to do something to... Kick the dog cage? Upset somebody who is struggling with something that has nothing to do with me. So I, yeah, I learned lessons. I'm just like you. So now, <clears throat> when I'm tempted to do that in the future, I'm going to remember, no, that's not for you. I'm not going to say, oh, you need to repent in order to attain your righteousness again. You need to do, do, what do I do? No, I just need to say, okay, that's not for me. So we got to come to the point of understanding we don't mature to be righteous. <laughs> we mature because we are righteous. You know, when Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. That passage is used so much in the comments because they think a sinner is somebody doing bad stuff. That's not a sinner. Jesus was speaking to the most well-behaved people on the planet. God's chosen original nation. 613 thou shalt not or thou shalt. But they were not righteous. They were sinners. 
Paul was the best of the best of them. That's why he called himself the chief of sinners. As he described his past life as a Pharisee. And then he's saying, if God can show grace to me, Timothy, he can show grace to anybody. But so many people want to go to that passage and describe Paul as a self-proclaimed sinner. So Paul would be struggling with double talk because he wrote to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Thessalonica, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. What is a saint? A saint is a holy one, a sanctified one, somebody who's been set apart. It is the opposite of a sinner. A saint is not a sinner, and a sinner is not a saint. You know, there's a, a song out there, sometimes I'm a sinner, sometimes I'm a saint. Every time I hear that, I'm like, no, you're not. You're a saint. Sometimes you do sinful things, but that is not what you are. Therefore, when you do the sinful things, you can mature quicker. You can get back in line quicker because this ain't for me. I don't want to do this. As opposed to, oh, well, I'm just a sinner anyway. One more stick in the pile. Look at you. You did it again. You just proved who you are. A great man of God would never do this repeatedly. This is why I hate it when people call me a great man of God. You're such a great man of God. You're such a godly man. I'm like, what? what? I am just as righteous, just as godly as you because we have trusted in the only one who can sanctify us in full and then we, we this is so different i have friends who are just lovely people but they that we don't agree on the word sanctification they cannot understand that your sanctification is complete in your identity your actions and attitudes are being sanctified as you mature, but that is not who you are. Therefore, you do not need to say, I am being more sanctified. This is a sanctification process. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us the only thing that could possibly sanctify you is the blood of Jesus. Is Jesus pouring out his blood in an ongoing fashion? Absolutely not. It happened once. He would have to, uh, Hebrews 9.26 says, he would have to die repeatedly from the foundation of the earth if this were not the case. You are not being sanctified in an ongoing fashion in your identity. You have been sanctified past tense. Sanctified means holy, set apart. Saint is the noun version of sanctified one, and you are a saint. That's why you are a saint. I'm a saint. Well, I do bad stuff. You're doing bad stuff as a saint. Well, see, he didn't come to call those who have trusted him, but sinners. You know, so many people are like, oh yeah, that's the sinner right there. You got to repent. You got to stop drinking, cussing, sleeping around, doing your little dance up in the club, looking at the porn. That's not what a sinner is. There could be many saints involved with all of that stuff. And as they begin to understand that they are a saint, then they will mature out of that. They will not mature out of that as long as you are saying you're doing that a lot. So that is what you are. Negative. The righteous from the beginning of time have always lived by faith. We see this in the book of Genesis. And we also see the word sinner back there as well. A sinner is somebody who stops believing God. Oh, you said it right there. You can stop believing God. Yep, I get that. 
However, according to the new covenant, Paul told Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. The old covenant was about your faithfulness. I got to commit myself to God. I got to rededicate myself. Not now. It's about belief. Had Adam and Eve believed God about their perfection, they would have never wanted the knowledge of good and evil. Yet today is a Sunday and the knowledge of good and evil is being preached everywhere around me. They point out the sin of everybody, but they do not teach anybody how to become a saint. They do not mature the saints in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They do not teach them you become a holy person once. Every passage that is describing sanctification in a future tense or an ongoing tense, that's describing people who will believe in the future. Stop applying Bible verses describing an unbeliever to yourself. Hebrews chapter 10 says, by one offering you have been sanctified. What's that offering? What's Hebrews chapter 9 all about? The bloody offering of the blood, the bloody offering of the blood of the Messiah at the real temple in heaven, not this man-made temple on earth where animal blood offerings were made year after year after year after year after year and they could never sanctify those who thought they were worshiping that way. Christ comes along, establishes the new covenant, sets aside the first covenant. Believe me, by one offering you have been sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. Right after listing off some of the most heinous, air quotes, I'm not even going to air quote it, the most heinous sins are church wants to pick on they do not understand identity because they are sinners or they are saints who are struggling with the error of thinking what you do causes you to become a sinner you even hear a tree is known by its fruit show me your fruit your fruit we are never instructed to inspect anybody's fruit that is called fruit unto death when you're working really hard to produce fruit, oh, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to just do this stuff and I'm going to produce fruit and everybody's going to see my fruit. They're just going to know I'm a great man of God. Paul calls that fruit unto death. <laughs> Who did Jesus say you will know them by their fruit? Those who did not believe him. The false prophets. Who was a false prophet? It is somebody who says that is not the Messiah. A Messiah, or excuse me, the Messiah, they would not say that's who it is. Jesus, that's the Messiah right there. But yet John the Baptist, he calls him the greatest. A true prophet. Because John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, according to the Old Covenant, on the Day of Atonement, there were... Two different 
goats. One goat would be slaughtered, and then they would have another goat, and it was called the scapegoat. And the Levitical priest would symbolically put his hands on the goat, and then the goat would go off into the distance. And then as soon as that scapegoat took away the sins of the Jews for the past year, the entire crowd would erupt. John the Baptist was involved with that his entire life, but he sees this man walking toward him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was a true prophet. A prophet is somebody who speaks. A true prophet is somebody who says, that's the Messiah. So a false prophet will be known by their fruit. Because it will be fruit unto death. It will be fruit of effort. You know, John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping up with repentance. That is the fruit of death. In context, that is producing outward actions to say, I am obeying the commandments of the law. And then the very next chapter, Jesus talks about a different repentance. The repentance of faith, of believing this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not what I start or stop. You know, this whole notion of you have to repent of your sins in order to be saved, that is an enemy of the cross. You do not stop any particular action. You do not start any particular action in order to be saved. That is what the sinners were doing. <laughs> Not us. The words repent of your sins are not in the Bible. You can attempt to go to Acts 2:38. You can attempt to go to Acts 3:19. It does not say repent of your sins. That is a mistranslation by the NLT. Why is this so important? Because you do not stop anything to be saved. Both instances, the Jews are being addressed for their unbelief. You have to repent of thinking you can do something or stop something in order to be saved. Stop breaking all those commandments. Break less commandments. This whole notion of repent of your sins to be saved started in the 18th century with the frontier revivalists. Before this, it was not around. And of course, the Catholics had penance, but they didn't harp on repent of your sins to be saved. Because you do not stop a sin to be saved. Yeah, but you're just telling people they can sin. Do you see where our mind goes because of man-made tradition and because of the error taught by Calvin and Martin Luther and how it has just poof, gone everywhere? Tradition of men. You do not repent of a sin. You, look, at this, look at it this way. You can commit a sin every second of your life until the day you die. If you have ever trusted Jesus, you are saved. But you are going to be doing something that is not natural to you as a saint and it will never set right with you. You will never be fulfilled and you are in denial of your true righteousness. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has to do with you being an eagle flying up high because that is what you are created to do. You are not a yard bird. So if you decide to be a yard bird as an eagle for your entire lifespan, you're going to stand in front of God and be like, you were an eagle. You're not a yard bird. 
But we want to gauge levels of repentance. Oh, that's the bad. Oh, that's a lifestyle. Oh, look at the lifestyle of them. Oh, and then they'll bend over like this. Oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. And they'll go crazy. And they'll, then they'll start saying it's a lifestyle. Lifestyle is completely subjective. The Bible says nothing about lifestyle. This word lifestyle, it would have been a word that the Pharisees used if it was around back then. Oh, they would have loved that. Look at the lifestyle of this Jesus of Nazareth. He drinks with the sinners, dines with tax collectors, hangs out with prostitutes. What a disgusting lifestyle. He needs to come to repentance. It would be preached today. It would be preached back then, excuse me, because as much as this word lifestyle is used, oh, you're just making light of sin. No, I'm not. You are. Because you're not talking about the only way to eradicate a particular sinful action or attitude through identity. Oh, but they didn't change. It's not, not my business. They're going to have to deal with the mental turmoil that comes along with that. Same with me. If I decide to get up and do a bunch of stuff that's just not natural for me, and then somebody wants to add it up as a lifestyle, that's their opinion. Completely subjective. I am going to have to deal with all of the turmoil that happens in my life, but this has nothing to do with my salvation. So in order for me to get back on track in a faster way, a, a, a way of no condemnation, I just need to say, well, that's not for me. Yep, that's not for me. I did it again, man. It's not for me. Did it again. It's not for me. Did it again. Not for me. Did it again. Not for me. Did it again. Not for me. This has nothing to do with me repenting of my sins in order to be saved. This has nothing to do with me repenting of my sin in order to earn another level or earn rewards in heaven. You do not earn rewards. The word rewards. See, even all these things I'm saying to you because of Calvinism, you think, oh, there's rewards. So you're talking about earning stuff in heaven at the Bema seat. There's no Bema seat in heaven. Is his throne great and white? Yes, it's great and it's white, but it's not a Bema seat. A Bema seat was what the Jews used to judge people according to the law. You're not going to be judged according to the law in heaven. Only unbelievers are going to be judged according to the law, and that is if they put themselves under the law. We see this in the book of James. Those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That is an unbeliever teaching the law. You don't want that. But this Bema seat error of, oh, yes, yeah, don't. They just, they can't fathom the fact that the good news is just, it's just really this good. There's no Bema seat. The Bema seat was for the Jewish pro-council to judge people according to the law. You're not going to be judged according to a Bema seat. There's no reward ceremony. Billy Graham's not going to get greater rewards than you. And then, you know, <laughs> Mother Teresa below him or above him, where's she going to be at? See, we, we try to say that grace ends even at heaven. Oh, you're going to get rewarded based on what you've done. No, unbelievers are rewarded according to what they've done, not us. We are rewarded rewarded according to what christ has done yes we'll all stand and give an account but when we give our account we're pointing to jesus we're not pointing to anything we've done because our best works are like filthy rags according to the bible the word rewards plural it's not in the bible we see the word reward what is the reward it is the reward of the inheritance we see this in the book of colossians 
When you receive a reward of an inheritance, how did you receive that reward? Did you sin less? Did you do a bunch of stuff? Did you repent? No. Your relative died. You received the reward of that inheritance. Jesus died. You received the reward of his inheritance. If you want to see how people are judged according to the law, look at the parable of the talents. It's a crapshoot. Good freaking luck. If you want to see how Christians are rewarded, look at the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew chapter 20. Everybody lines up. They all get paid the same. The people who started first were upset. And the vineyard owner said, did you not agree? Okay, then take your payment and go. God's generous. We got to deal with that. God is so generous. And because you have received the reward of the inheritance, he lives in you now. So you now want what God wants. Oh, my flesh doesn't. Yes, there's nothing wrong with you. Your flesh is an instrument of righteousness. We see this in the book of Romans. There is nothing wrong with your flesh. Oh, but it says bad things about the flesh in the Bible. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The flesh. When you see that little T-H-E in front of the word flesh, the flesh, it is never describing your physical body. Your physical body in scripture, the Greek word is soma. S-O-M-A. The flesh. And that's flesh. Flesh, soma. You. Physical shell. Flesh and bone. Okay? Soma. Then you got the flesh. Sarks. S-A-R-X. You are not the flesh. The flesh is not your physical body. So this error that everybody has been taught for so long that there's something wrong with your flesh. Oh yeah, my spirit and soul is holy, but not my flesh. My flesh is just bad. I got to crucify my flesh. No. First Thessalonians 5 says all three parts of you are holy. Spirit, soul, and body. In the book of Galatians, we see that the flesh has been crucified. Again, the flesh, sarks, has been past tense and you are not the flesh so when you read galatians 5 and you see the flesh the flesh the flesh just know that's not my body when you see the flesh rule of thumb no that's not my body so when you see it in galatians when you see it in romans it is not talking about your body it is talking about a separate entity and you have been taken out of the realm of the flesh romans chapter 8 and placed into the spirit of jesus you have to deal with everything about you is good and holy and sanctified and perfect. Yes, perfect. So often, this is pet peeve of mine and it triggers me. People, <laughs> people's like, nobody's perfect. That's a lie. People who have trusted in Christ have been made perfect. Scripture tells us this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. There is one translation that says, are being made perfect. But if you look at the Greek text, the Greek text, it is not an ongoing fashion. You have been made perfect. Nobody is being made perfect. You either are or you aren't. 
You know, if you want, if you want to harp on that passage, and I know some people do, oh, you're, they're being made perfect. You're talking about sanctification. Then we're right back to sanctification again. You know, if you want to look at that passage where it says they are being made perfect and you really enjoy that translation, that's fine. Look at it like this. That's those who are believing in the future. That's not you. Because what makes you perfect? Isn't you stopping sinning? No. It's only Jesus dying again. But yet what does he do forever? He lives. He is able to save completely because he always lives. His blood is not being poured out in an ongoing fashion to make you more perfect. You are perfect. Your actions and attitudes are not, but you are. And when you understand that you are, then your actions and attitudes can mature in an authentic, organic way. Because if you were not perfect, you would basically be faking it. You would basically be trying to get to a different level. There aren't levels. In this world, you are like him. 1 John 4. In this world, you are like him. You have to separate your who from your do. You have to separate your actions and attitudes from your identity. Get your identity right. Understand what happened, not just for you, which is forgiveness, but to you through the resurrection. Peter said, God has caused you to be born again through the resurrection. You're a new creation. You're maturing. You're learning. You're growing. You're not running from God. So if this past year... You know, if you're listening to this podcast in the future today, it's January 1st, 2023. Normally don't want to date these because I don't want, you know, I want to keep them kind of a little bit timeless. But so many people are waking up today, January 1st, like, I'm going to try harder to not do that. I'm going to try harder to do that. I'm going to stop running from God error don't try be you are a branch jesus is the vine does a branch try hard not to do something does a branch try hard to do something no a branch abides a branch lives a, a branch trusts the vine he's in here so everything that happened this past year that you regret god was with you because you've already trusted Jesus. But as you can see, those mistakes have caused a lot of pain in your life. So it would probably be a good thing if you matured out of that. It would probably be a good thing for you to make some better choices. It would probably be a good thing to maybe take better care of your health. It would probably be a better, good, a better thing for you to have a better relationship with certain people. It would probably be a, a good thing to forgive. It would probably be a good thing to love. It would probably be a good thing to express more joy, be more peaceful. You, not even be, that is what you are, to express it. All of the things you can see in Galatians chapter 5, all of these things, the fruit of the Spirit, it's already here. So you might as well express it. You don't need to say, I'm going to try. I'm gonna, just going to effort myself to, <laughs> to death. Be, live, mature, grow. Do what you want. Do what you want. So, can Christians do things our own way? Yeah. You can. 
because your ways are his ways. The passage from Isaiah 55, 8, that's describing an unbeliever. Isaiah 56, Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 6 and Isaiah 55, 7, tell us that's not you. Your ways are God's ways. The book of Romans says he has poured himself into you. The book of Hebrews says he has written his laws, not law. That exact word was changed from law to laws, plural, because the Hebrew people never called the law of Moses laws. He's written his laws on you, on your heart, on your mind. Your heart's not wicked and deceitful. If your heart was wicked and deceitful, and again, all those passages from the Old Covenant are describing unbelievers. If Romans chapter 6 says, you have become obedient from the heart. Ezekiel says, I will remove your, your <laughs> wicked heart and give you a new heart. He says this twice. That's happened. So stop using Old Testament passages to describe you or other people. If you still had a wicked, sinful, deceitful heart, God couldn't make his home in you. You would be running from the Lord. You would need to seek him. You would be a sinner. You would not be righteous. But because you've trusted Jesus, you got a good heart. You want what Jesus wants. You want everything that God wants. You have God's divine nature. Peter says this in his second letter. You are a partaker in the divine nature of God. He's not up. He's not out. He's in. Is he up and out? Yes, but he's in as well. So you don't need to go somewhere and say, Oh, Lord, fill this place. Come down with your presence. No, God's not. It doesn't work like that. He's here. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You. Paul says this twice in 1 Corinthians. You can do things your own way because your way is God's way. So I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light. Maybe some error you've been taught in the past and maybe some truth. And you should always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are awesome. So always tell the truth about yourself and always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.